microphone. Lone doer. <coughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, I realized that uh, I was asking myself, how long have we been teaching prayer? And I, I checked it. I mentioned this, I think, this week. But we've been on prayer since September. It's been four months. And so as I checked it, I almost heard God say, hurry up. So, yeah, <laughs> after we finish the Lord's Prayer, which we really have just one more petition after the one we're, we're looking at now, we'll uh, do a quick summary and move on to something else that I think has God, God has planned for us. So that'll be exciting. Uh, I wanted to thank Terry Oki. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right, because it sounds like karaoke. And I think that's why I naturally say it like that. But uh, Terry in Great Britain uh, filled in for me in the Zoom meetings while we were away. And uh, from what I heard, she did a terrific job. And I just wanted to thank her. You know, like, you know, when a radio host comes in for like Rush Limbaugh or something, you know, that's how I felt. So not that I'm at that level. But I wanted to thank her. And uh, we're back to reg- regular schedule on that if you want to join us. it's uh, You get to see uh, other people in the congregation for, who are on the Internet um, at Friday, Fridays at 4 o'clock uh, our time. Uh, I was also uh, looking around at the website. Uh, I'm taking a course on at Corbin on uh, uh, video production, website production uh, for churches. It's actually enlightening as all get out. And so I've, I've been looking over our, our website. And anyway, what I noticed uh, was the children's material that we have on there that I didn't even know was there which is super cool, uh, and thanks to my wife, obviously I didn't put it there. If I did, I was in a wrong state. But anyway, uh, the uh, the children's material there is terrific. There's like um, crafts and instruction, and it's all there ready to be used. And uh, I just wanted to point that out for anybody online or here who maybe has kids or grandkids and, and – uh, you know, it's it good for like some teaching at home or stuff to do at home. So that's right there on the website. I think it's under Beloved Children at the top. So, I mean, it's it's even good for your children if you don't like them. So just <laughs> just saying. All right, let's uh, let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity this morning to be back together on a Sunday. Feels great to be back uh, after a great a break that was just wonderful rest for us in a true vacation. We thank all, all of you who made that possible. It was truly relaxing. And uh, so we're back and ready to go. Uh, so with that, let's uh, get ready to hear God's word, sing to him, worship together. And uh, with that, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for another day, another day in your grace, in your world, in your creation, another day in your salvation, which you have provided through Jesus Christ our Lord. As you will show us uh, this morning, all of us are sinners. We sin daily. But we know also, Father, that we are forgiven. The sins that we commit, we recognize, we confess. There are others that we do not even see. And yet we know, Father, that we are forgiven. The reality of this makes us humble and contrite before you. To be forgiven and cleansed 
because even though knowing what we are is of a great mercy and love that you have bestowed upon us and have revealed to us through Jesus Christ our Lord hanging on a cross some 2,000 years ago at Calvary outside of the walls of Jerusalem as you had predicted, as you had prophesied thousands of years before that he would do it. And he did it in full. He paid for all of our sins. He wiped the slate clean, the debt that we have with you. It is paid in full. And so, Father, in humility and in great thankfulness, we stand before you and can stand before you only because of him. We thank you for him. We thank you for our church. We thank you for your word that we can look to time and time again and be reminded of these wonderful truths and have our hearts set free by that which is true and eternal to walk with you always. We are so grateful, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please. Morning has broken like the first morning. Spoken like the first bird. Praise for the singing, praise for the morning, praise for them springing fresh from the word. Sweet the rain's new
studying our Lord's Prayer, um, we're at the fifth petition, the, the second to last. Uh, the last three, as you know, have to deal with us and our, our life on this earth with God. Uh, the first, give us today our daily bread, is about our provisions from God that we're not to want more than He provides for us or other things than He provides for us by His will, and therefore we're content physically uh, the second petition is about our relationship with ourselves and our failures. This is about sin and also our relationship with others and their failures. Right? This is not about our successes, this petition. It's not about our, uh, the others in our lives, their, the, things, the qualities that we admire about them. It's not about that. It's about their failures and how we deal with that. Uh, we find that if we do not deal with ourselves properly, with a proper, proper attitude towards our failures and our sins, which goes far deeper than we might think, meaning the attitude itself, the thinking itself of what we are as sinners, has to be in its right place in a right way. And we discover that from the Scripture. It's, it's not just some simple... You know, I, I know I'm forgiven, okay, move on. Or uh, I should be uh, beating myself up ascetically. It's not that either. It's, it's something that we have to each discover of how to deal with our failures. And we have them every day. And the failures of others. And if we don't have those in the right place, our relationship, our work, you know, uh, and like that, that last song, is just, the words to that song are just wonderful, but... You know, it's it has pretty much everything in that song. It, 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 the 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 work that we do will be completely uh, well. There won't be really be any divine work at all if our attitudes towards ourselves and others is not right. It's not. We don't just do work for the sake of working. You know, God didn't just say, "Hey, I'm going to create a bunch of creatures to do a bunch of stuff that I don't feel like doing." You know, like we're his little minions or something. And so. Um, this is about sin. This, uh, this fifth petition, forgive us our, our debts. Now, in Matthew's account, it's debts. In Luke's account, it's sins. Harmatia, debt, is 
philomite, something like that. I can't remember. But uh, the um, the debts are sins, right? So our our debts to God. So this is the way that Christ wants us to look at it. We commit sins against God, and they are debts, like we owe Him. And you know how are you going to pay that off? What you like now? If I just stop there, you'd all would say, "Wait a minute, Pastor. I know we don't pay that off. Christ paid it off. Bravo." That's exactly what you should respond. Christ paid it. But there's an attitude towards it, right? If Christ paid it, then we say, all right, it's done, right? Christ paid it. I'll just commit sin. I'll do whatever I feel like and, and just do what I want, right? Is that okay? And we, you know, just have, you don't have to read far. Just turn one page before you say, God says, don't do that. <laughs> because it, you're going, you reap what you sow, you sow to the flesh, you reap what? Corruption. A life of corruption is no fun. Has no fruit, has nothing. Had nothing to it other than just existence, I guess. But it's not life. God has given us life. Christ came into the world to give us life. That life we need to live. And we have been made to live it. We have been created by faith in Christ. The moment of salvation we believed and accepted Christ as our Savior. We were transformed. We were made new. We were renewed as been new creatures. Redeemed. Sanctified. Justified. I emphasize that because I just read... A, uh, and someone I know well just put out a new website in their evangelistic ministry that speaks about, you know, there's not a lot of faith in Christ on that new production that they put out. It's, you know, it's, it's more of a lordship thing. You know, if you're going to... You know, and what, what, is, what is terrible about that is that people will always, in the back of their minds, think that they're working for their salvation. If they don't have the right stuff, then they might not be saved. The question will always linger. We must not ever question who we are in our position. And that's not what this petition is about. This petition is about you as a believer who are able to stand before God because of the forgiveness that has been given to you by God through Christ, through his cross, that we have a, still have a sin issue. And as believers with that sin issue, how do we deal with it? And it's very important. And the other believers in our lives, they sin against us or sin against those that we love or just sin in general and it makes us angry. We think they shouldn't get away with that. Or, or, and then we judge them because, especially when they sin in areas that we don't, we think, oh, I'd never do that. And you probably wouldn't. But you've forgotten something. How much did you do? And that's a great place to start. How many sins did you commit yesterday? I'll pause there and let you think about it. Imagine if we were truly aware of all the sins that we committed. I mean, every one, we recognize them. And meaning the sins of omission, too. The stuff that we were supposed to do that we just blew off. Didn't even know we were supposed to do it. <clears throat> Say we counted them all. Say we had one of those clickers. I don't know what to call them, but the counting clickers. And you just clicked. Every time you committed a sin, you recognize it. Every time you're supposed to do something, you didn't do it. Every time you're supposed to think something, you didn't think it. You were say something, you didn't say it. You were to encourage somebody, you didn't do it. Your thoughts went a little 
perverted or whatever, click, 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 click. Everybody hear you coming. <laughs> Who's that coming around the corner? That's Joe again. Click, 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 click. And then you would, ch- what would you do? You'd check it every day. You'd check the number. And you'd either rue the day, oh, what a bad day. Or you'd think it was a good day. The number would tell you, wouldn't it? A good day. What would it be? Well, I take it from Peter's conversation with the Lord. Lord, uh, my brother sins against me. How many times should I forgive him? <coughs> seven. Aren't you impressed? Jesus said, hey, Peter, how about seven times 70? Peter's going, one, two, three, four. I mean, I'm a fisherman. I, I didn't take any math classes. 490 times. So you looked at your clicker at the end of the day, 490 sins today. Maybe you thought, wow, that was a pretty good day. High five. Then came a bad day. You look at your clicker. There's 987 sins on it. Dang it. This day was terrible. It's not even noontime. Who among us had the least sins yesterday? Well, come to the head of the class. Who had the most? Well, you might as well come up too. Because we can't count them. If we could actually count the number, guess what would happen to us? Think about it. We would develop this comparison mindset. We'd look at the number and we'd compare yesterday's to other days. In our mind, we'd develop an average, whatever it is. We think, that's about what I normally do, so that's okay. And then some days, it'd be way over your average number, those bad days. <clears throat> and you'd have excessive guilt about it. And then sometimes you'd look at the clicker and go, hey, look at that. I came under today. And I meant, now think of this. You would have a day filled with, say, hundreds of sins, and you'd commend yourself for it. Because I came in under average. This is what would happen if we could count them. But we can't. Nobody can. Only one can. And it's God. And guess what he said he's done with our sins? I don't remember them anymore. Is what he says. This isn't part of the New Covenant. Hebrews 8. I don't remember them anymore. So in our prayer, forgive us our debts. Excuse me, is that all of us are sinners to an extent we cannot know. This is important. When you understand this, when it comes time to forgive others, more often than not you will. If you don't understand this, because you see there's all kinds of sins you commit that you don't even know. You can't count them. We all have weaknesses. I mean, I know mine, but do I really know them all? I've thought a lot about this in this study, and I'm like, do I really know all my weaknesses? Because You know why I know I don't? Because some time ago it became aware to me that I had a certain weakness that I never thought I had. But because I fell into it so strongly, I was like, whoa, that wasn't good. And it was an area that I thought, wasn't really a problem. Turned out it was. 
And then once the problem, you become aware of it, then you start looking at the past and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> but at the time when you were acting the way that you were, you, didn't, you weren't just aware. Yeah, you just gave yourself credit where credit wasn't due. All right. So you can say, you know, well, but Christ died for those. I don't have to work on that area of my life. I don't have to change anything. I'm forgiven. You know, accept me the way I am. You know, God accepts you the way you are. But he calls all of us to keep increasing and excel more. The wonderful thing you can do is read First uh, Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians together. Uh, 2 Thessalonians is only three chapters long, so it's, it's really short. But those two letters were written to the Thessalonians within you know, a, a real short time from one another. And in it, Paul is encouraging them because they're very faithful. And multiple times he says to them in both letters, I want you to keep excelling even more in your love, in your faith, in your truth. Accept me the way I am. Well, we should never settle for status quo. Now, there's all kinds of things that we have to think about here. Because if I don't settle for status quo, should I always have a low self-image? Like, am I mature yet? No. Am I there yet? No. Have I fixed all my flaws? No. So I walk around, you know, with my head in the sand or mourning myself. But the Bible doesn't say to do that. You know, a lot of Christianity have gone that way, and they, they, that's asceticism. They've gone to the ascetic way, and they just beat themselves up, and they're never good enough, and they're never worthy enough. And that's, the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible says be confident and do, do it. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he says. Be an imitator of God, Paul says. And so I have to figure this out. And you see, there's truth to both. There's truth to the ascetic life, which has a lot of falsehood in it. But there's a certain truth in it, which is humility. And there's also truth to the spiritually arrogant, which have a lot of falsehood, but a certain confidence. Yes, we must have. And so how do we have both in the right place? And Jesus here, boy, with just a few words, he keys us right in. I'm a sinner every day, but what am I also every day? Forgiven. So there's a, a thankfulness to God, there's a confidence before God, but there's also a very genuine humility before people. And what happens is, and, he, and he's, he's just so smart. I love the Lord <laughs> for many reasons, but I love how smart he is that you forgive others. And he's going to say right after the Lord's Prayer, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. And I still have to untangle that verse, to be honest with you. <laughs> I still have my questions about it. But I know it to be true. But of course it wouldn't be, you know, eternal forgiveness because that happened at the cross. So what does he mean there? What he mean, First off, we could say with confidence that our forgiveness of others is super important to our own very lives. And if we don't, you know, some people are easy to forgive. Some, man. 
So we, uh, Chris and I go to, we, we were here yesterday doing some work, and then afterwards we went out to lunch about you know, 2 o'clock or so. I don't know why I need to tell you the time. But <coughs> I'm so dumb. But so we walk into this restaurant. It's a bibimbap. It's a Korean place. We love that place. But if you walk in there and the place is full, there's no waiting room. There's no place. You're basically standing. There's people eating here. There's people eating here. And you just kind of stand in there trying not to get in anybody's way. And we were kind of here. And there's a booth there. And this young girl, probably in her early 20s, sitting there with her little earbuds in, watching TV on her phone while she's eating lunch with her parents. All of them were watching TV on their phones, by the way. You know, talk a little. <coughs> Maybe not. After actually what this girl said, I wouldn't talk to her either. She boldly says, hey, move. You're in his way. To us. To, I guess it was her father. Right? Really, we just walked in the door. And she's like, hey, could you move? Just said it just like that. You are right. We're trying to eat here. So we moved over. I looked at her and went, wow. That's exactly what was my response. But I've been studying a lot about forgiveness lately. <coughs> Sad. Oh, good for me, right? I w- oh, man. And then she says what they all say. I don't mean to be rude. So my resp- I thought about when she said this, so I was like, so what, it just comes naturally? You don't have to mean to, you just do this? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I told Chris afterwards, we should have pity for that girl. Uh, yeah, you might, you might say this is the right words that put her in her place, but are you concerned about putting the person in their place, or are you concerned about the salvation of their souls? What, is, what would it take for that girl or anybody in this world who is so rude and so caught up in their own stuff to get them to see their need for God and need for forgiveness and need for the cross and need for Christ? What would it take for me to say that would bridge that gap? That's what I need to think about. Not putting them down. We're in a world where everybody's trying to put everybody down. Yeah, I see the Republicans finally take the House, bravo, and they want to investigate everybody. I'm like, okay, investigate everybody. No one's going to get in trouble or go to jail. They never do. So why don't you just forget about that? We'll put it in the past and legislate. Do your job. But no, it's got to get them. We're going to get them. We're going to get them. And we're all tuning in on the news. Did they get them? Uh, No, they didn't. Yet again. (coughs) So here... We understand the depth of our own sin. That's just, this is what Christ is telling us to do. You know, He's not saying He doesn't use the word confess here, like in First John one nine. He doesn't use that. He says, "Forgive us." Is what gets us. We get. Well, wait a minute. We're all forgiven. No, Christ wants us to understand on a day by day basis that we have more sins than we could possibly imagine, and that we are forgiven. And that every day we're saying, not, you know, not seeking the cross, we're already believers. This is not about position. This is relational. This is about a relationship with Christ and humility before Him. That I am a sinner saved by grace. Thank you. And when others sin against me, I pray that I'm like you, Lord. As you have forgiven me, I will forgive them. 
Now, it <clears throat> doesn't mean at time you have to separate from people at times. Yeah. People have to go to, to prison for their sins in society. Yeah. But the sins we forgive. And the people we forgive. Even though, you know, they, everybody's going to face the consequences of their wrong. God is so clear about this all throughout the Scripture. Judgment's coming. Leave them to God. Pray for their souls. All right, look at Psalm 130. This psalm is about a repentant sinner. It's, uh, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Now you almost you could see here in the in the beginning in the first line he's like I feel so in a pit that I feel like you won't even listen to me but Lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications if you Lord should mark iniquities O Lord who could stand but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared all right, the, our God who has forgiven us, we know what he's done. We often, we take it for granted, um, I think too much, you know, the cross of Christ. It's easy to do because we know of it and hear about it all the time. But, you know, the, the depth of suffering that our Lord went through to, so that we could be forgiven is something that we shouldn't forget and something that uh, we should continue through the rest of our Christian lives to explore the depth of it as much as we can know of what he sacrificed and what he went through so that we could be forgiven. There's no justification without the forgiveness of sins because of the debt. If the debt's not paid, there's no justification. God cannot say, hey, you know what? Just forget about it. Can't do it. The debt has to be paid. Christ paid the debt. So there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Right? That I am before you in awe. In, in, in worship. And this gift is so wonderful. I don't want to transgress you. I wait for the, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, <clears throat> and in His word I do I hope. In His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. The watchmen are, this he speaks of, this is a great image is they would be in the fourth watch, which would be, I think it's 3 a.m. Or, or 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. If there's three watch, it depends. But let's say you're, you have the wall. You have to look, be alert, look for the enemy, protect you're on, as a soldier for, from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And when 6 a.m. comes, you can go to sleep. And, you know, you're dragging. You're, this is, you're up all night. And this is what this image is when the morning comes. I can, I can leave my post and hit the pillow. In the same way, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman of the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman of the morning. See, he says it twice. This is how I ache for the Lord. And then he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. Loving kindness, again, chesed is the word for covenant love, the love that God had for Israel by which he made his promises, his covenant promises. And with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Why does he jump to Israel here? Because Israel's full of sin and he knows it. As are we. 
How many sins did Israel commit? Are they all recorded in the Scripture? <laughs> no. Do we know all of ours? Mm-mm. So if the Lord won't count them, because if He did, who could stand? The Lord doesn't want us counting them either. Because we can't. Now, what I'm not saying is that when you recognize a sin, do you confess it? Absolutely. But not for the purpose of changing your standing before God. You have a standing before God forever as one who is forgiven, justified, cleansed. You have that. That is forever. You're the temple of the living God in which Christ dwells. But the confession of sin is an acknowledgement to yourself before God even. It's really to yourself more than, than it is to God. As God sees it, and as far as the east is from the west, so I have cast your sins. But you are in the process of changing. You know, the, the sin is committed. I don't agree with it. I don't want it. If the confession is genuine. So, the writer of Psalm 130 cries to the Lord from the depths. He is grateful that God does not mark iniquities. Nor does he state his own sin specifically. And that's prob- but it's, not. it's probably that he knows what sins he has committed that have caused him to be in the pit. But he also knows that there's more than those. There's more than those sins that he recognizes. And this is a truth that we must mark as the Lord petition tells us. When we judge others, we, if we refuse to forgive them, we are trying to stand before God on our own. You see, because if we stand before God as those who are forgiven, when, those sin, when others sin against us, we're, we're forgiving. I mean, if I'm on my knees before the Lord and someone comes up next to me and sins, what, am I going to stand up and say, jerk? We wouldn't do that. But if you're standing up beside the Lord like you're his co-judge, like you're on the bench, then you judge. And you're like, did I do good, Lord? And he shakes his head. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, you got so much to learn. When we refuse to forgive them, we're trying to stand before God on our own. No one can stand before God on their own. That's why we have a mediator. We have a mediator at the right hand of God who stands for us. And when we're God, and then, you know, as David said when he faced Goliath, the battle is the Lord. The Lord will fight you today. I'm not fighting you today. The Lord fights you. So, in fact, we're trying to stand beside God rather than being on our knees before Him. And being on our knees before Him will absolutely change our, um, our prospect or our, our uh, opinion of others and their sin. Worshiping before God. Forgiving. You know, forgiving will not change the past. It's not, you can't go in the past and change what they did. But it will open up opportunity for the future. Both for you and for them. It's true that sometimes we must separate from others. Sometimes we must cut people off from the supply store, if you know what I mean. But we must always forgive them. A human with a judging heart will always be sick. And why? Because we're not created to that for that. Our creator is the judge, not us. If we judge, we will be sick in our heart. We weren't made for it. In Psalm 130, 
This man, uh, I'm sure, recognizes the sins that put him in the pit that he's in, but also he recognizes that there are more. If you counted them, Lord, I couldn't stand before you, but with you there is forgiveness. So the Lord has not asked us to mark our iniquities, because we can't. You don't see it anywhere in the Scripture that we should be counting them. But when we recognize it, it doesn't mean that we don't recognize them. When we recognize them, we confess them, absolutely. But know that there are more. So let's go to Matthew 6. Now, I also remind that Psalm 130 is written before the cross, and so this, if I could mark iniquities, you wouldn't stand, is for all time. It's not, it's not a post-cross thing. Uh, we, being on this side of the cross, know that we're completely forgiven by the blood of Christ. So, why would Christ ask us to say, forgive us our sins, or forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors? It's because he doesn't want us to forget it. He also doesn't want us to to forget that we sin every day. He doesn't want us to forget that we have a debt before God every day. He doesn't want us to forget that we're forgiven. He doesn't want us to forget that we must forgive others. He doesn't want us to forget that the sins that we do see and confess are a portion of the sins that we commit. How could we count them? Again, think of the sins of omission. The things that you should have done. Did you do them all? Give us this day our daily bread. These all three, the last three are connected. Matthew six eleven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's our contentment. Uh, <clears throat> God is going to provide everything we need, and that's the uh, the fact that He'll provide for our bodies. And uh, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, so the the second, uh, sorry, be the fifth petition. Forgive us our debts. Is for our minds. We must not walk around with uh, with a severe self condemnation. There are times that we uh, will be brought low and be ashamed, and those are not always bad things. But if we're all constantly walking around with no self image and no uh, and thinking we have no relationship with God and that God doesn't love us and that He hates us and that whatever, then because of our sin, if we will accomplish nothing, and He doesn't tell us to do that. And you don't see it in the other, you don't see it in the writers, you don't see it in the apostles, you don't see it in those who followed God. Like take Isaiah, for instance, in the, in the, in, in the opening, well, it's in chapter 6, in the beginning of his 66 chapter uh, prof, prophetic book. Uh, in chapter 6, he sees a vision of the Lord, and he says, who am I? Right? As soon as he sees the vision, he says, Who am I that I could say anything? I am a man of unclean lips. And then God sends a seraphim and goes to the altar. where The, the altar is where they burned, you know, for Israel, it's where they sacrificed the animals. It spoke of the sacrifice, the atonement that God would give. The angel takes tongs. I kind of like that, that he doesn't touch it himself because it's holy. And he takes the tongs, he takes a coal from the altar, and he touches Isaiah's lips with it. And it's because, what does that say to Isaiah? 
that God has forgiven you. Yeah, he didn't, God didn't say to Isaiah, oh, no, 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 you're, you're a man of clean lips. <laughs> no. He said, I've forgiven you. I've redeemed you. I will die for you. Now go and speak and do it with boldness. And Isaiah changes completely in that chapter. That lips are touched after he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then the next line, God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, pick me. I want to go. His confidence comes. Why? Because of the redemption. Because of the forgiveness. But does he get all bold and arrogant? And, you know, does he, you know, he's God's man and God's always going to do. And, you know, does he have this, does he completely lose any humility? He gains his confidence, but it's with genuine humility. So if we understood that we were sinners who have sins beyond counting, then we would always have hearts of forgiveness. And it's, it's, it's a matter of what Christ says here is forgive us our debts. It's in the plural. He doesn't have anything really in specific, not specific sins. He doesn't use the word confess. So what is he pointing to us here is the fact that we have this, uh, however, this load of sins, this pallet of sins, I don't know, truckload, whatever, however you want to put it, wheelbarrow full. I don't care how much you think you have. I'm sure you have more than you think you have, and we have them anyway. We all have them. Yeah, we start patting ourselves on the back for the fact that we cut the number of our sins in half. And if you've grown in grace and knowledge, you likely have. If over the years you have become more spiritual, and I hope that you have, there are certain things you used to do that you don't do anymore. God has changed you. And you have less sin. But how much do you still have? <laughs> right? And that's what God brings. He brings to mind. and be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, as uh, Pastor Bob used to always say, you know, when we get older, we don't do the overt sins very much anymore. And he says, why? Well, it's because we're too old to do them. We're too tired. You know, it's like, all right. Uh, as, you know, I, I shouldn't say that, but there's things that come to mind. You know, you're, you're not, people aren't attracted to you anymore, so those sins are out the window. <laughs> you know, uh, certain things you can't do because you just physically can't do them. And then you say, wow, how mature am I? No, you're just old and tired. And you're mature in one way, uh, chronologically. But what, you know, in our minds, with the thoughts we're supposed to have, the graciousness, the kindness, the lack of bitterness, the lack of judging. How about joy? We're to be joyful every day. How about when that person's driving you in front of you too slow? Right? And you're like, God, I hate you. Is that a sin? Probably. Did you recognize it? Did you hit the clicker? Probably not. How many do we have? Jesus is pointing out to us here, you've got a lot. Now look, a little is a lot. James, James writes, you know, who loves the book of James? <laughs> Nobody. Yeah, don't raise your hand. No, I most hopefully if you know what you do. I, the more I've come to know it, the more I love it. Um, and it's you know he is in in no way in uh, contrary to Paul's 
theology of salvation and justification by faith. There is no conflict there. But um, <clears throat> you know, there, there's, a, there's a certain, if, we, if we've broken one part of the law, that's what James says, we've broken one part of the law, we've broken the law. The littlest thing. Right, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you tithe, you do all this, you do all that, but what don't you have? Or the Pharisee that comes before God and says, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here. I tithe, I give, I give offerings, I pray, I fast, I'm awesome. What do you lack? Well, we'll see that. I've got to hurry up and get there. Uh, <clears throat> so who can stand before God? Nobody. On our own? No. Uh, it, again, if we understood that we were sinners who have sins beyond counting, then we would always have hearts of forgiveness. And I should add there, we would always have hearts of humility. Now, the, the pride always sneaks in, right? And when you detect it, which is, you know, the older you, the, the more you mature in grace and knowledge, the more you're going to detect pride. Your pride meter, pride detector gets more sensitive. And you will see it. You know, like I have no business being proud about anything, and then you you rid it, confess it, or acknowledge it if you like that word better. You're always acknowledging before God and change, right? Pride, go. No pride here. Doesn't belong. <clears throat> Wrong way. Romans 14.4, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Right, here's our guy who says uh, on the slide, if you can't read, I know it's small. I found a couple of cartoons that I thought were really fun. Uh, He says, are you aware of how ridiculous you look with that speck in your eye? Let me set that, get that out for you. And where is this from? Sermon on the Mount, right after he teaches the prayer to forgive others. And every of all six petitions are expanded upon in the Lord's Prayer. Just from chapter 5 to... one they produce heat all right sorry about that um yeah this is in the sermon on the mount everything every part of the lord's prayer all petitions are expanded upon in the sermon uh you know uh, give us today our daily bread christ says it farther on in chapter six don't worry about tomorrow don't worry about what you're going to eat what you're going to drink what you're going to wear God takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of you. That's the petition. Here, don't judge. 
So you've got to get the log out of your own eye, he says, then you'll be able to see. And I wonder, every time I read this, I'm like, what does he mean exactly? Can I get the log out of my own eye? I think, I think in a way you can, that you can, because we can help one another. We're to actually reprove one another when it's proper, with gentleness. Not this silly little girl. She wasn't even little, but whatever. She's the silly girl in the booth telling us to move with the earbuds. I was going to grab her phone and just throw it out in the street. <laughs> Go watch TV outside. I know, right? That's the, that's the reaction. Who of us doesn't love the revenge movies? Right? I was watching. I never saw it before. I watched the, uh, boy, this is a rough one. Uh, on the plane, right? We fly Alaska. That you can watch all the movies on your phone, and that's how we pass the time. Especially flying to Hawaii, it's a six-hour flight, so you can fit in two movies at least. Passes the time well, and I'm, I'm watching. I'm like, oh, is it Denzel? Uh, Denzel Washington, fine Christian man, if you know. But uh, the Equalizer, that was the movie. Holy moly! I hadn't seen it before. I thought I had seen it. I'm like, I hadn't seen this before. Wow, that's a rough one, and a rated R. So I'm not promoting it as a good Christian pastor, but there's some violence in that movie like crazy. But who doesn't root him on? He's killing the bad guys, right? Kill the bad guys. Is that what Christ did? He did the opposite. He let them kill him. End of movie. Everybody's like, well, that stunk. Right? Who's the hero here? Now, when he comes back, he's going to do that. But yeah, but not at his first coming. What did he come to do? To save. And to do so, he had to die, not kill them. And he could have. Could have easily. It's wonderful. And then he turns to us and he says, that's why he gives us the prayer. Every day I want you to remind you of this. That in these petitions, these six petitions, this is me. This is how I live. This is how I prayed. If you remember in Luke, they, Jesus, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why would a Jew ask another Jew who always prayed the same day when they eat in the morning and in the evening, uh, when they, they do the sacrifices, the prayers are the prayers that they all do. They're the, pretty much the same. They're from the Psalms, they're from uh, the Shema, you know, which is every morning and every evening in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God, the Lord is one, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And uh, they're like, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Why would they ask him that? Because Jesus was praying something different than what they were used to. And this is what he tells them. And we're reminded every day to be like him. And in the world, we're told to be something else. And our flesh loves that. The flesh wants to kill the bad guy. Put the bad guy in his place. Get revenge. Oh, how sweet it is. But that's not the spirit. So as each petition in the Lord's Prayer is expanded upon in the sermon... Um, so this principle of being a sinner to the extent that I cannot know and then having 
the ignorance or lack of awareness to not forgive others and rather judge them. So you have to be ignorant and not self-aware of who you are before God as a sinner to judge others. You have to be. So look at Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Who's going to measure it to you? It's coming from God. You want that? I know I don't. And who of us have been had that measured out? <laughs> it's called discipline. And all of us, have, we're all old enough to have had it. Actually, Maggie's had it, I would, I'm sure, at five. Oh, it's fine. It's, you know, Chris has not only Maggie now, but she takes care of two other kids. Sometimes there's a third. She's become quite popular in the in the kindergarten at the church in Dallas because, <laughs> you know, she, she helps out quite a bit. And so we get to see the dynamic of these five-year-olds. And they're prideful. They lie. They tell stories that aren't true. If you ask them, do you know this? They'll say, oh, yeah, I know that. And you know they don't. Has anybody taught them this? Has anybody said, sit down with their kids and say, let me tell you how to lie. This is how you lie, and this is how you do it well. If you want to lie, you have to be convinced of the lie so you can convince others. That's how politicians do it. No, no one taught them this. They do it naturally. The uh, Somebody... <laughs> We, uh, Chris found a free box of Legos. You can't believe this. It's like $100 worth of Legos. That somebody was. Legos are expensive. I can't believe how much Legos are. Huge bin of Legos that this lady wanted to get rid of in Dallas. Chris picked them up, took them off her hands, and she got them for the kids that she watches. And Inside the Lego box was this lightsaber. It's about this big. And uh, Chris is like, I should get rid of that. But let's see, let's see how they do, right? It was like an experiment with the kids. So what are they going to do with the lightsaber? So they start playing with it. And Chris is like, this is not a good idea. I, I wasn't there. But they run off to the, to the room, and you can hear them. They're, they're playing lightsaber, and then all of a sudden you hear, ow, hey, ow, stop that, ow. They're cracking each other with the thing. So lightsaber has to go away. They know instinctively to whack each other with the lightsaber? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. We're born in Adam. They're all born in Adam. This sin nature makes us violent, selfish, prideful, all of it. And if it's not held in check, what happens to them? They become that girl at Bib and Bap. <laughs> her parents, their parents were sitting right there and didn't even correct her. If my daughter had done that and I was sitting there, oh man, she would have heard it. And I would have made her apologize. But without direction. You know, and how many? I, you know, as I think about it now, uh, how many single-parent homes are there now? More than there have ever been. Amongst all races. Now, it used to be uh, in, in the African-American that had more, but now all races have caught up. That, you know, uh, boys, boys, not men, Boys are siring children and not marrying and not taking care of the children like they should. And taking care of the home, taking care of their wife, they're not doing it. Because it's, hey, you, know, it's, it's not, you don't have to. It's a free world. What does it do to the children who don't have two biological parents who love them and care for them at home? It, it creates havoc. 
especially for, for both boys and girls. So what do we, you know, it's easy to judge them all, but you know, there's my next cartoon then. This is you. But I do love this one. <laughs> so here it is. This is what Jesus says. Don't judge and you won't be judged. We have, see, what I'm saying here is that we see all kinds of, we're going to see all kinds of problems with all kinds of people. You and I are going to meet different people that God is going to send into our lives who are in need, and we're going to see specks in their eyes. And instead of encouraging them and helping them to the truth, we're going to be very tempted to judge, to put down, to criticize. And do they deserve it? Well, sure, but it's not supposed to come from us. And, and who of us are going to say, all right, God, give me what I deserve? Yeah, and he's fortunately, even if you said that, he's not going to do it. So we leave them before God, yes, but we help them. Right? We, we, this, is, this is our ministry. This is part of our, what we are. As we love, we're the light of the world. So anyway, so he says in verse 3, Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How do we take the log out? You know, I'm, I'm still exploring that. But I say first and foremost is to know that I am a sinner more than I know. That I'm forgiven before God. I'm humble before God. And if I, So if I'm going to take the speck out, it's the only way to take it out is through the truth through comfort, through encouragement, through the truth of the Word of God. And if those things will take that speck out, then I offer them. Will my judging take it out? Nope. Will my nagging take it out? Nope. I've been nagged. Well, I'm 100% Irish, so if you nag me, I'm going to do it more. That's what us Irish do. You say don't do that, I'll be like, watch. Watch how much I do it now. Just to throw it in your face. That's the flesh. Right. That's why, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I found this quote from a, it, it, I'll caution you here, he's a motivational speaker. I don't know if he's a believer or not. But what he said is true. He said, when you judge another, you do not define them, but you define yourself. Right, that's a good quote. When you judge another, you're not defining them, you're defining yourself. In other words, I am standing beside God as a judge. <clears throat> so are do we now so the next thing and I'm gonna get this goofy guy off the screen for you. Are we to leave any notion or recognition of sin aside? So th- there's many questions that come up here that can be traps if we answer them wrong. So we get the we get it, all right. We're sinners, and and we have more sin than we can know. Uh, okay, uh, so should I be concerned about sin at all? Should I just be, you know, let's let it ride, you know, roll the dice, do what I want, go where I want, just whatever I feel like doing, do. There's a whole world that does that. How does it work out for him? Should I? 
leave any notion or recognition of sin aside? The answer is no. And I could give you plenty of passages on this. We're not to hide our iniquity as our parents did, meaning Adam and Eve. When the Lord came and walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hide themselves. Who told you you were naked? Well, it's the woman you gave me. Right? They, they blamed each other. Right? They, they hid from God. So we must recognize our sin and the sin in our life. And when we recognize a sin in our life, we are to confess it to God. 1 John 1, nine. Confess it. Confess them all. When we confess, we are confirming in ourselves the way of righteousness, while at the same time claiming by faith the blood of Christ that cleanses. The blood of Christ cleanses us. That's also in 1 John chapter 1. We walk in the light because the blood of Christ cleanses us. I'm putting it, it's quoted that wrong. But as we walk in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses us. As John writes, are we sinless? No. Have we been born without sin? Again, he says no. If you say that, you call God a liar. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. So we confess our sins, and God is faithful to forgive. We know we are forgiven. Does this in any way change my standing with God? No, because we know we're forgiven of all sin. Confession is not judicial. It's not a judicial thing. Like, I'm in with God, I'm out with God. I'm in with God, I'm out with God. Is that true? God is always in me. You know, the fellowship thing is a real question. Am I walking with him? Well, no, not in sin. Because I, the reason we know that is because we're commanded to walk in a certain way. That's a command. You're never commanded to be uh, forgiven. You're never commanded to, say, be indwelt by the Spirit. You don't find that anywhere. You're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, not indwelt by the Spirit. You're not commanded to be indwelt by Christ. You are indwelt by Christ. So you have this position before God forever. And yet, as sinners, we can still get a whole lot wrong. What we're getting wrong, we've got to change and get it right. And that's the whole process of learning and growing and applying and praying And knowing that the Holy Spirit is the one who is empowering me in this direction. So confession, in my opinion, is relational. Not judicial, but relational. It is the means of course correction, confession. Of changing patterns that are systematically damaging me. Systematically meaning very often, these things damage me. They could be sexual sins. Could be pornography. It's very popular. There's a lot of Christians who have been pulled into it, mostly men. It could be uh, an adulterous relationship uh, or a non-wife, you know, fornication. It could be sexual. The, the, the re- I say that because the Bible speaks about it so much, and the Bible knows us. It could be in our marriages, as the Bible says. What's the main problem with the husband? All the husbands say, nothing. Oh, bitterness. <laughs> bitterness. What's the main problem with the wife? Submission. You say, well, you know, the world, you know, forget about the world. This is what the Word of God says. You say, well, I don't want to do that. No kidding. I don't want to not be bitter either. 
All of us have, because the flesh, we have to overcome it. And that's what this is about. Every day we're like, God, we have sins, we have sins, we have sins. I know I'm forgiven, and I'm going to forgive others. And that rolls us into the next petition where we have to walk the narrow road. And we can. And as we walk the narrow road, the sins are going to get less. And as we walk the narrow road, the petition of give us today our bread, we're going to be way more content as time goes on. Confession is relational. Confession changes patterns that are systematically damaging us. Confession is a recognition of how fortunate we are to be forgiven. Confession is an adoration and love of our God who suffered, love of our Lord who suffered so much to take our sins away. It humbles us. So the ultimate goal in the Christian life is not our position before God. That is secure forever. The goal in the Christian life is the manner in which we live in reference to our election in Christ. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Right? That is your election. It's the whole point. Right? In Ephesians, Paul has chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 about all we are in our position. We can't lose it. We're forgiven. We're elected. We're predestined. We're adopted. It's all there. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We've been given the mystery, which is Christ himself. Jew and Gentile are now one new man in the new covenant. And then he starts chapter 4. And what is the first thing he says? Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I say, what calling, Paul? The first three chapters, silly. There it is. That's the whole point. And if you keep, what's wonderful about that is if you keep your eye, because there's so much we have to learn. There's so much I still have to learn. All of us do. About everything I've said today, I don't know all of it. Not every single subject, maybe even every single word that is of a theological nature, that is of a biblical nature. There's more of those things that I need to discover. But if I know the main goal, even though I have so much more to learn, I know where I'm going. What is that goal, Christ-like? This election, what I've been called to, my life in every aspect of it, it's got to look like Him. All right, one last passage, if you will. Go to uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, yeah. It, it, this, this illustration is kind of is a perfect way, I think, of wrapping this up. So this is about you know, Christ is invited to a dinner. Luke chapter 7, Christ is invited to, a, to dine at a Pharisee's house. And he goes. It's surprising to me at this point in the Gospel of Luke that anybody would invite Christ anywhere. <laughs> especially Pharisees. He's already called them out at a couple of dinners and word must have gotten around. Perhaps Simon the Pharisee here thinks he's smart enough to deal with a Christ, with this man, that he thinks is no better than a rabbi. And I would say he would think of Jesus as a country rabbi. You know, one of those... Because he, he didn't go to school, not, not to be a rabbi. But they gave him. They gave him the title. It was kind of like, a, yeah, all right, we'll call you a rabbi since you're so popular, you know. So look at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was request, requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now this woman is. Pro- we don't know who this woman is. This is not Mary Magdalene, but 
it's likely that she's a prostitute by the context. Or we should say it's likely that she was a prostitute. And when she, uh, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with, her, with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing him with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now what camp does Simon the Pharisee fall into? Spiritually arrogant. Right? Because of what? He's a Jew. We see this in all of them that Jesus taught, not all of them, but most of them, that they thought they were saved for the very reason that they were Jewish, that they were of Israel. He also has an education, a grand education, in the Torah, in the law, in the prophets. And so he has a heritage and an education, but does any of that make a dent in his sin? You know, Jesus would say to them in John 8, you're slaves. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And they went, we haven't sinned. Some think the Bible is only instructive for the day in which it was written. This is a great fallacy. It's the fallacy of the progressive movement, that the things written of old are only for the old. (laughs) How ridiculous. That truths are changeable. That is a progressive idea that is wrong. See, in spiritual arrogance, can this apply? So the point is, does this apply to me? Can I be a Simon the Pharisee? And you most definitely can, and I most definitely can. Where I say, I, don't, I know I'm forgiven, so I don't care if I sin. Why shouldn't I boldly expect from the Lord? Why shouldn't I be better than others? Why shouldn't I look down my nose at people like this? I don't live like that. I would never do that. But what have you done? That's what Jesus is getting to us. What have you done? And I say, well, well, I don't really know. I don't know all that I've done. And he says, exactly. So stop judging others. Okay? I'll judge them. Don't you worry. It's all over the Scripture. All in the Psalms and the prophets. Not one person is going to get away with anything. We say, well, they already got away with everything. Did they? I don't know how shocked I was to find out that Joseph Stalin was probably one of the biggest monsters in history. Was the leader of the Communist Party in the USSR for over 50 years. For about 50 years. Why didn't God just kill him? I think God killed him every day. I think. I think he's a tortured, tortured man. And the torture got worse. Of course, he's not going to admit it to anybody. He's proud. Someone who would kill like he did was a sick, twisted, uh, tortured man. I I don't know. know, Can I figure all that out? Mm -mm. Do I trust God to figure it out? Perfectly. Perfectly. I'll leave it to him. All right, I'm way over, I know. Hold on. So Jesus answered and said to him, verse 40, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were able to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Well, boy, this is an easy one to figure out. Simon's probably like, I know this one. 
Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. (laughs) Probably the first time he's ever judged correctly. Uh, I just lost my place. There we go. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And I love how he talks to her, but while talking to Simon, he looks at her. I entered your house. He gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time she has come in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Back to the parable. Simon has sinned much, just as much as this woman, I would say. I mean, if we get the clickers out on both of them, it's not going to be the exact same number, but sure enough, they've sinned a bunch. Just Simon in a different way. And yet he thinks he has sinned little. So what does Simon have for the Lord? Little. He has little to offer. What does this woman offer Jesus? Just pure worship and she falls at him. And, you know, basically in a way that says, Jesus, whatever you decide, I say is just. So he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, he doesn't deal with that. Let them judge, right? They judged him. Did he say, hey, I'm God. I judge. I can forgive all I want. No, let it be. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. So this is a great word to end with on this. Go in peace. How can I have peace as the sinner that I am? Because you've been forgiven. Now go and serve your Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you so graciously have forgiven us. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, who through him we have been forgiven by his incredible sacrifice. We cannot imagine the pain and loss that he went through to give us what we have, but we are so grateful and so thankful. May we take these words to heart, Father, and have a different view or a better view, an improved view of others. When they sin against us, may we not forget this petition. We ask in Christ's name, amen. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to keep you too long. That's, uh, I always make that mistake trying to squeeze something in at the end. I'll improve on that. Uh, we'll take our offering at this time, and, and thank you for that. Thank you, Grant. Um... I just want to—I want to thank all here and all online uh, for your, all of you for your prayers and giving, and you know you have sustained. This ministry has been sustained now, going on 12 years, and uh, all because of you. And I thank you for that. Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give as your believer priests who worship you. We give and worship, and that we may uh, give. Uh, graciously. We ask, Father, that you bless the how we use these finances to your glory. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.
Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. Thank you for the ability to be together, worship you, hear your word together, grow in grace and knowledge together. Final moments of our service are dedicated to anyone who has not come to believe in Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, I I beg you to please consider the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world, therefore He's your Savior. He died for the sins of the whole world, therefore He died for your sins. No one else can claim that. There's no other religion that claims that. Christianity offers salvation, the only salvation. For there's one name under heaven by which men can be saved. So believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe upon Him, He's your Lord, Savior. He died for you on on the cross. He paid for your sins. If you believe in Him, as the Scripture says, you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for all things. In Christ's name, amen.